Ephesians 6, verse 16. It's where we're going this morning. This is the Word of God. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. So our God and our Father, we come to you right now. And Father, we ask that you would be here among us. Father, we ask that you would teach us your word. Father, that you would answer our questions. Father, that you would relieve our doubt. Father, that you would grant us faith. Almighty God, would you strengthen us according to your glorious might and generosity. And Father, would you raise up strong, rugged soldiers of the cross who have an eye singled to your glory. I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. It was June 6th, 1944. And it was one of the greatest invasions of its day. There were 5,000 ships full of servicemen, 13,000 aircrafts, 160,000 soldiers. It's one of the greatest invasions. It was D-Day. It was a picture of what it meant to be in warfare. It is a picture that will go down in history and that many of you remember hearing about from your parents. Perhaps maybe some of you were living towards near the time. It was a day to remember, and it was a picture of a massive invasion. We come to our text this morning, and we're talking right now about warfare. And we have to ask the question, is Paul exaggerating on our warfare? Or like D-Day, when we think about D-Day, and many of us have studied it and read about it in history class, and we've seen how violent it was. Is that how we are to think about Christian warfare? I think it is. I want to submit that to you this morning. You are at war. Now, I'm just doing this by way of reminder. You are at war with someone who is evil. The text says in the back end of Ephesians 6.16, the evil one. This is not just a bad philosophy. No, this is not just wrong ideas. No, this is not just evil people. No, this is the evil one. This is the adversary of Almighty God, and he is shooting at you. He is shooting at me. Now, why would I elevate the evil one in this moment? Because it makes our text relevant to me into you. Now I want to be honest with you this morning. Can I be honest with you this morning? In this room right now, there are marriages that are falling apart. People are struggling. There are people that have bit the lie that if I can just talk about someone behind their back and gossip 
about them, it will make me a better person and feel better. There are those out there right now that are trying to secure their identity. They're fighting so hard for that promotion because they think it will place the, the ultimate value on their life. They've been confused. They've been allured. They've been tempted. They have denied the truth. They have doubted God. They're in this room right now. There are those in this room right now that are addicted to pornography. Addicted to drugs. Unable to break loose. And they're afraid to tell you about it. Because they're afraid that you're not going to respond and give them grace and mercy and love and help and hope. They're in this room right now. Perhaps you're one of them. There are some in this room right now that have been faced with the limitations of life. They're coming face to face and their limitations are becoming disabilities. And all of the means of grace that they used to take advantage of, they're no longer able to show up at the Bible study because they are losing their ability to walk, their ability to come. They need hope. They need joy. They need faith. It needs to be strengthened. It's relevant for us today to talk about this topic because you have an evil one that wants to exploit all of those weaknesses. That's why we're discussing what we're discussing today. There is an evil one who is shooting fiery darts at me and at you to exploit all of these temptations. Now, let's review for a second our book, Ephesians. What is the point of Ephesians? Ephesians 1.10 is just a great, it just captures Christ is uniting all of the cosmos back to himself. He is bringing all of the cosmos back to himself. Under his lordship, under his reign. That means spiritually, he is bringing people out of darkness into his marvelous light. That means physically, he will redeem the earth and all of its brokenness. Christ is Lord, and he is making it known. He has waged a war. And when he rose on the third day, he secured the war. The war has been won, and now we are fighting out the battles. So he has united all the cosmos under his lordship, and we advance God's plan. This is why it's relevant for me and for you. We advance God's plan in the way that we live our Christian lives. That's Ephesians chapter 4. The way that we live in our homes. That's Ephesians chapter 5. The way that we live at our businesses. The way that we work. And what Paul is trying to help us see here is it is not going to be easy. Here's why. You have an adversary who hates God and everything that is good. Did you hear that? If you lift your hands and you say, I'm a Christian, made in the image of Christ, being made more like Him as I go, as I behold the glories of God, 2 Corinthians 3.18, I behold Christ with an unveiled face and being transformed from his image one degree to the next degree. If that is you, Satan hates you. There's no middle ground here. You are at war. I am at war. And so, when we think about this, we, we, we think about God says to us, to me and to you, I know you are at war with an adversary who has been here 
from the beginning of time. I know you're at war with someone who is the most crafty individual you could ever begin to imagine. Who is the most powerful individual you could begin to imagine apart from God Himself. I know you're at war with someone who is trapped, who has deceived, who has destroyed. So what am I going to do about it? God looks at humanity and He says, I'm going to step in as a human being and I'm going to go and conquer. So that's Christ. So we get Jesus Christ living out Isaiah 59, 17. Jesus comes. He looks for a man who, to stand in the gap and He finds none. And so He comes and He stands in the gap. And He faces Satan in hand-to-hand combat. And he conquers. And the way that Jesus Christ conquers is the same way that he wants me and you to conquer. And so he sets us up with this armor that you've been hearing about. And so when Satan comes and he lies to me and to you, you have the belt of truth that's fastened to you so that you don't buy the lie. When Satan comes and he allures us with his temptation, you have the legal righteousness and the practical righteousness and you can detect a a counterfeit. When Satan comes to accuse you, you have the shoes of the gospel to hold you steady. These are things that are fastened to the Christian soldier as Satan comes to bring his hand-to-hand combat to you. But now Paul begins to move us from hand-to-hand combat to aerial combat. He's going to show us here that there are fiery darts that are coming your way. There are fiery darts that are coming your way. And make no mistake about these fiery darts. They 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 are shot in the air to cause confusion. They are shot in the air to cause you to be disgruntled. For you to be discouraged, for you to be dismantled, for you to be divided. We're going to talk more about this in just a second. There are fiery darts that are coming my way and your way. So Paul is not exaggerating when he says this. When he says, take up the shield of faith, he means take up the shield of faith. But let's talk about this for just a second. What is a shield? In our text, it is a metaphor, a shield, which is faith, right? And so a Roman shield, there were two types of Roman shields in Paul's day. One of the shields was a two foot diameter. It was a smaller shield. It was lightweight and it was attached to your arm of the soldier uh, with two leather straps. It was meant for hand to hand combat. But there was another shield that was taken up. And this is the one, this is the word that Paul uses in the Greek. Uh, the second shield um, w- was the theros. Uh, it was a solid piece of wood covered by metal and heavy, heavily oiled leather. The soldiers would carry them when they were on the front line. This shield was four feet high and two and a half feet wide. And so this is the shield that Paul talks about. He talks about a shield that would cover you in the midst of these fiery darts coming. See, Paul has moved us from hand-to-hand combat and he's moved us to aerial combat now. And so he says, take the shield of faith. And so a soldier would use this shield 
in battle and would hold it up as a barrage of arrows would come, what they would do is they would take an arrow and they would dip the arrow in pitch. They would light it on fire. And then as they marched towards you, your army, they would fire these arrows into your formation, into your army. And the arrows were meant to obviously penetrate and kill if it could get to you. But it was more to hit you, to wound you, to set fire around so that it would cause massive chaos. It would cause massive scattering. It would cause injury. It would cause discouragement. It would cause doubt. That's the picture that Paul's trying to capture. And here's the thing. The one who's shooting them at you is very accurate. He's been deceiving people from the beginning of time. You probably recall this in Genesis chapter 3. The enemy comes and, he, and he's, going to, he's going to launch a dart of doubt in Genesis chapter 3. You remember this? He comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and they have everything going for them. They're in the garden with God's presence. They have the tree of life. They have the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden They have all the fruit around them. They have each other in perfect relationship. And God says, don't eat from this one tree. Everything is stacked in the favor of Adam and Eve. The enemy comes. You remember what he says? Did God really say you couldn't have that? He's creating doubt. See, it's the dart of doubt. And just so we're all clear here, the, the word here in the Greek for dart, or your, your version may say arrow, whatever your version says, it is just a projectile. It is a missile, a dart, an arrow. It is something that is airborne to come and cause mass confusion. That's the word there. Did God really say? So he wants to cause doubt. That's what Satan is after, is to bring doubt to my world, to bring doubt into your world. And there's a few ways that he will do this to me and to you. A few of these ways would be persecution. Persecution is a fiery dart. Some of you have experienced this. Maybe you haven't experienced physical abuse in persecution. But you've experienced being socially martyred. They know when you're coming into the office and they say, I'm going to make sure I don't eat at the same lunch table as this person because I know they're going to talk to me about Jesus. Persecution discourages us. It's, it's, it's caused to make us doubt. Should we really be this serious about God? You should be serious about God for Jesus is worthy. Uh, and secondly, fears and anxiety. Have you ever sat in your room and been reading your Bible? all of a sudden, you get hit by a thought. And you're wondering, where did that come from? Or you're in prayer. You know, we have the ability to focus when we read newspapers, when we read fictional books. None of these thoughts typically come to us in those times. But when you really start getting serious about prayer, about the Word, all of these divided thoughts are coming into you. Now, I don't want to blame everything on Satan. But sometimes have to go, where did that come from? Where did that thought of doubt, should I really be here reading this? Am I wasting my time? God, are you listening to my prayers? God, can you hear me? Do you not see my hard circumstances? 
God doesn't see my hard circumstances. You start having that thought and you wonder, where did that thought come from? It just might be. It's a picture captured by John Bunyan uh, in, in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, where Christian is there and he's wrestling and he, and he, has, he has one of the, the demonic uh, uh, characters in his, in his story whispering in his ear a whisper of doubt. That anxiety, those fears that plague us. Satan exploits those and Jesus says, rest. You don't have to be afraid. I am with you for I am your shield. Thirdly, with fiery arrows, persecution, fears and anxiety, finances. Some of you in this room right now are struggling with your finances and you're wondering, where's it going to come from? And Satan exploits that and wants to cause you to doubt God. Family, marriage, we can't make it. This is too hard. Every time I try to talk to you, all we do is fight. There's no way to reconcile this. It's impossible. There are some brothers and sisters in here who did not buy that lie, even though they were in the midst of the hardest of times. And they made it out. And they're stronger and better for it. Go talk to them. They are strong, rugged soldiers of the cross who had an eye single to the glory of the king. They realized my marriage represents Christ and his bride. And praise the Lord for you, brothers and sisters, who have done that. If you are struggling in your marriage, please come talk to me or one of the elders. We would love to talk with you about these brothers and sisters that I'm talking about right now. I don't have an agenda, by the way, when I say that. I'm just, this is one thing that comes up a lot, okay, that I know we are tempted and by the evil one He's firing darts at our marriages, getting us to have conflict with one another, getting us to fight with one another, and we think it's impossible. He's seducing us with temptations, impurity, selfishness, doubt, fear, disappointment, lust, greed, vanity, and covetousness. These are all arrows of the evil one. Now listen, Paul says, in all circumstances, I can't, this is not exhaustive, all circumstances, you are to lift up the shield of faith. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. But Satan is coming in all circumstances. Now, let me just be honest with you. The hardest thing about fighting these fiery arrows is sometimes it doesn't feel like they're being shot at you. Can we agree on that? Some of you walked in here and you felt really at peace until I started talking. <laughs> and then you're, I'm at war? What are you talking about? <laughs> this is stressful. Okay, I get it. Um, but listen, think about this. Going back to World War II, <clears throat> they would be in their ditches shooting at one another, and for days sometimes, there would be no uh, shots fired. They would be mobilizing troops and aircraft to get them in position to take the field, and then all of a sudden, a barrage would come on. Shots are fired, and now it's time to go to war. Now it's time to raise our guard again, shoot our guns, put on our helmet. That's what the Christian life is like. That's the hardest part about being a Christian. You've got to know when you're being shot at. And that's what Paul is saying when he says this, in all circumstances, take up. When he says take up, that requires action. Did you catch that? It's changed. It's changed from what is put on you. 
What is fastened on you is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, right? Uh, the, the shoes or the boots of the gospel. Those are always on the soldier. But when the war picks up and the shots are fired, now the, sh- the soldier must take up his shield. It's time to act. The first three uh, pieces of armor are armor of preparatory. They're to remind us. They're useful in hand-to-hand combat, certainly. But they're preparatory. They're fastened. The last three are to be taken up. As the battle picks up, you are to pick this up. And so, as we are looking at what a, a Roman shield is, it was, to, it was to keep the fiery darts from hitting the soldier, to keep the army in formation, to deflect and put out the arrows. That was the purpose of a uh, Roman uh, shield. Now, what about faith? What does faith have to do with being a shield? How is faith, really it says here, take up the shield which is faith? How is faith our spiritual shield? <clears throat> Remind you of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Listen to this for a second. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, to not be confused here, we're going to ask a few questions about faith here. A few different veins. How does faith put out fiery arrows? I want to try to answer that as we evaluate. What is faith? So I'm going to ask six different questions. We're going to give an answer. And we're going to see how does faith put out fiery arrows? Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So let me ask my first question. What is faith and where does it come from? What is faith and where does it come from? Ephesians, in our book here, 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Did you hear that? It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So where does faith come from? Talk back to me. Thank you. That's right. Faith comes from God. Go over real fast to Philippians 1.29. God doesn't just grant us faith. Watch this. Philippians 1.29. Just flip your page there, probably in your Bible. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also, what? Suffer for His sake. Did you see that? God has granted us faith, and it's a faith that will endure in conflict, in battle, in suffering. Suffering is the crucible getting into the kingdom, to seeing God. So God says, I'm not going to let you go without suffering, because as you are in conflict, our second question is going to come out, your faith is going to be strengthened. And so here's my second question to you. So where does faith come from? It comes from God. What is the object of our faith? What is the object of our faith? Well, it's clear. The object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've asked this question before. Think about this rhetorical question for your head, in your head. 
Don't answer this out loud, please. Would you rather have a lot of faith and step onto a lake with four inches of ice or very little faith and step into a lake with four feet of ice? Did you hear that? I'll repeat it one more time. Would you rather have a lot of faith and step onto a lake with four inches of ice or very little faith and step onto a lake with four feet of ice? Listen, it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. And Jesus Christ is a firm foundation. Jesus Christ is certainty. It is 100% stable ground. If you do not have Christ, you do not have a defense. But if you have Christ, you have an impenetrable shield. Did you hear that? The object of our faith matters in this warfare. The object of our faith matters. He is a firm foundation. And Christ has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, what is faith and where does it come from? Faith comes from God. It is a conviction of things unseen. If you can see it, it's not faith. Okay, You remember the story with Doubting Thomas, the end of the book of John? He says, I have to see. I have to see. So Jesus says here, look at the holes in my hands and my feet. Look, Thomas, examine my side. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. Listen to this. Faith is belief plus trust. You don't just believe, you trust. You have your trust in God Almighty. So what is the nature or aspects of our faith? Our faith, what is the nature or aspects of our faith? Our faith is on the move. Our faith takes action. Our faith is not just intellectual assent. J. Oswald Sanders captures this with a quote in his book, A Spiritual Clinic. He says this, Note this, saints. The word in the intellect is not sufficient against the warfare of Satan. Did you hear that? The word in the intellect only is not sufficient against the spiritual warfare of Satan. That means, okay, that knowledge has to work its way down in your heart, your desires, your life, and it will by faith. You hear that? Please note that. That if you are just gathering information, you're not going to wage a good war. That information becomes application in our lives as we walk by faith. Think about it like this. James 2.26 says this. Faith without works is dead. Our works are manifested by our faith. Faith without works is dead. So we have an action that comes by our faith. Our faith manifests themselves by our works. Listen to this. How good is the devil's belief? Not good. Do you want the devil's belief? The devil's belief is nothing more than intellectual assent. He knows God exists. He knows the scripture. He's quoting scripture back to Jesus when he tempts him in Matthew chapter 4. Are you with me on this? 
Do not be in that category. Please, I'm begging you. Walk by faith. Apply the Word of God to your life. Ask God to awaken you inside and to give you um, a, a desire for Him and to want to walk with Him and to trust Him at all costs. Some of you probably remember the story in the book of Genesis when God told Abram, Abram, Genesis 12, I want you to leave your kindred. And Abram, I want you to go. In Genesis 15, after Abraham has just fought back and received Lot back into his camp, because Lot was kidnapped, him and his people, um, he had just talked with Melchizedek. Abram is there in, in uh, Genesis 15:1, and God says, Abram, I am your shield. See, here's the, the most interesting thing about the Old Testament. Uses God as the imagery. He is our shield. He's saying, Abram, it's going to be another 13 years before Isaac is born. You're going to have to walk by faith. I'm your shield, Abram. Believe my promises. Many of you probably remember in Matthew chapter 4, the second temptation that Jesus faces. Satan comes and meets Jesus 40 days into their desert, fasting. And he takes Jesus and he puts Jesus on top of the temple. And he says to Jesus, uh, he says, Jesus, I'll tell you what. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from the temple And what will happen, Jesus, is the angels will come and they will catch you. Satan quotes Psalms 91, 1 and 2 at Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to Satan? He said, it is written, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You know what Jesus was saying when he said that, when when this whole combat, hand-to-hand combat was going on? This is what Jesus was saying. I could throw myself off and those angels would definitely catch me. Uh, There would have to be a divine intervention. I would have my sign and I could know by the sign that I was the son of God. But you know what, Satan? I'm going to take God at his word. He said when I was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And because God said it, that settles it. I don't need a sign, Satan. I won't put my God to the test. Let me ask this question to you, brothers and sisters. Do you ask for a sign? Or is God's word enough for you? You know, there are times in our walks where God carries us through really hard times and he gives us very tangible things to hold on to. Things that would act in a way that would bolster our faith. There's testimonies uh, that many of you have in here. Those aren't wrong. It's not what I'm after. I'm after the person in the room that before you make any decision, you have to ask God for a sign, even though there's things that, in the Word of God that deals with your decision. If God's Word says it, be a brother and sister that says it's settled. I believe the Word of the Lord. I trust God's Word. And even when those fiery temptations come in to make me doubt to make me question, to make me want to deny God. I believe in him anyways. And so it's interesting that Satan, what he, what he often does is he'll take us and he'll fire a dart of doubt. 
And that dart of doubt will ultimately lead to a dart of denial. I want, to deny, I want you not to just doubt God now. I want you to completely deny God. See, that's what it means um, ultimately to sin is I deny God's truth and I lower God's character and I elevate Satan's character by following his lie. That's what's happening here. This is a cosmic battle going on in your life, in my life. It's a battle for the glory of God. God says, do not deny my truth. Cling to the truth. And when you feel like you can't believe it because you can't see it, hold my truth up in Christ Jesus. It's stable ground. Hold me up. And even though you don't feel like it, let your feeling follow the facts of the Holy Scriptures. That, brothers and sisters, is how we walk through temptation. The dart of doubt, the dart of denial. If you follow that out, here's what will happen next. You will begin to divide yourself from the flock. Next question. What is the community of our faith? It's really important in conjunction with what I just said. What is the community of our faith and why would I say it? See, here's the thing. The shield is held out in front of me and it protects me at 12 o'clock. But what about 9 o'clock? What about 3 o'clock? What about all these circumstances when we feel surrounded by the enemy? What about those times? What then? You must have the community of believers. And ironically, the formation that Roman soldiers would go in is they would lock arms together, holding these shields on the front line. Sometimes they would make a line as big as a mile across. Can you imagine that? Walking with these four-foot shields these soldiers marching towards victory triumphantly. And, and uh, you get this picture, but they would also circle around and they would create a, around each soldier, around each side, around the back and over the top. They would hold up these shields as a barrage of arrows came in. You see, you needed the community to be completely protected. Here's how it applies to me and you. Usually, when we bite on the dart of doubt, and we begin to want to deny Christ, we start to divide ourselves from the body. We start to move away. Now, do you remember what I told you about the Roman soldiers? They would fire the the, the darts into the crowd, and it was to cause mass confusion. It was to wound, it was to discourage, and it was to scatter. That was the point. So that when they are wounded, discouraged, and they scatter, the enemy would come in their formation, and they would slaughter That's what he is trying to do to you. He is trying to separate you from the body of Christ with those temptations and those fiery darts. And as those darts hit and the flame begins to spread, he wants you to get further and further away from the body of Christ. He wants you to think that you are each other's enemies. Don't let him do it. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17. Hebrews 3, 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So your brothers and sisters will sharpen you. They will challenge your thinking according to the word of God, if they're really a brother or sister. And they will encourage you and strengthen you and pray with you and hold up your burdens with you if you are faltering. 
You need the community. Don't separate from the community. It is a big mistake. This is how lion, pack of lions hunt. What they do is they try to run at their prey and they hope that they scatter and then they target the one that runs off by itself. They target it to devour. Does that language sound familiar to you? Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you started to stray from the body of Christ and you're not in community, I encourage you not just to be in church and leave as soon as the service is over. I encourage you to get in a small group. I encourage you to be transparent and real with those that are in this community because this is a broken people who are being made whole in Jesus Christ. No one in here is perfect. Everyone in here needs Jesus. Amen? Amen. We need Christ. So don't let him make you think that you're the only one going through it and you're such a terrible person. No, stay in community. You need the community and the community needs you. Stay in the community of our faith. So, well, let me say one more thing to this. I'll give you an example of this real fast. I was, I, I feel like I'm speaking out of just personal, I, you know, I want to be real for a second with you. I feel like the Lord has allowed me to walk. The moment I said yes to this sermon, I just feel like a barrage of attack has come. And I feel like the Lord was, was saying, hey, I'm going to let you experience <laughs> some of the things that you're going to talk about. I know you've experienced it, but you're going to ex- you're going to really feel the battle as you're going into this. And <clears throat> this last week on, on Wednesday, I was in my office and, and I'm there and, I'm, and I'm, I'm facing the anxieties of life and just different things that I know that many of you are facing. Um, and I'm facing the anxieties and fears and all these things and time you know, issues and all this stuff going on in my life. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm just asking questions about God's character. I don't even realize I'm doing it. And at 10.05, down in my office, I can hear a song being sung, this is the day, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it. My older brothers and sisters were singing a few rooms over. What courage that brought to my soul. Hey, listen, uh, listen, college students and, and high school students and young families, <clears throat> if you want to see a strong, rugged soldier of the cross, Go and talk to some of our older brothers and sisters. I was talking with one of them on his way down to this uh, worship time and this, this Bible reading time. And he was telling me how his wife was losing her ability to walk. Minutes later, joyfully singing out, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Who talks like that? Someone who has lifted the shield of faith. Be strengthened by your older brothers and sisters. They have a lot to share with you, brothers and sisters that are younger. I for sure have benefited from them. Next question. What is the growth plan of our faith? What is the growth plan of our faith? This is going to seem like an obscured passage, but just go there with me. Second uh, Samuel one twenty one. Second Samuel one twenty one. I want to give you some just some juice for, for knowing that, man, we are to, to continue to grow our faith. What is the growth plan for our faith? 2 Samuel one twenty one. <clears throat> Saul, King Saul has just died. David's getting a report about Saul's death. And I want you to listen to what he says. 2 Samuel one twenty one. You, David's he's calling down a curse. You mountains of Gilboa. 
Let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul was what? Not anointed with oil. Why is that important? That his shield was not anointed with oil. A few reasons. uh, But mainly this is the shield was a piece of wood and it was covered by leather. Even in Saul's day, covered by leather and the oil would keep the leather intact. What's happened is someone has come upon the dead body of Saul and they see Saul's shield, who Saul is royalty of Israel. He's a king of Israel, but he's not the true king of Israel. That's the picture here. You have Saul's shield and his shield is decaying. His shield is a picture of decay. His shield is a picture of, uh, of death. His shield is a picture of defeat. If I looked at your spiritual shield, would I see life? Would I see uh, leather, if you will, that has been formed and strengthened and worked out and strong and ready for battle? Or would I see a shield that is decaying? It's being defeated. What would I see if if I looked at your shield? You know, Christ purchased that shield for you to lift up. And that shield is the best shield you can get your hands on. And so how do we grow our faith? How do we use the shield? How do we grow our faith? It is the means of grace. We grow in our knowledge. We grow in our trust of God through walking through all the circumstances of life and lifting up that shield. Listen, A lot of times I talk with Christians, and here's the thing that I keep hearing. They'll go through hard circumstances, and oftentimes they'll say, God, please just deliver me from the circumstance. It's not a wrong prayer in and of itself. But sometimes God wants to walk you right through the fire, not go around the fire, over top of the fire, or under the fire. He wants to walk you right through the fire. So God, strengthen my faith in you, God. I believe, but help my unbelief. Remember that cry in the Gospels. I believe God, but help my unbelief. And so we take the shield and we hold it up and we get used to the the, the fiery dart getting extinguished. As a dart would hit a Roman shield, the water or the oil would take the fire and and you would just hear, the fire's going out. The burning desire inside is desisting. It's being extinguished. Because of this shield. Take care of your shield to grow your shield. Don't step out of a faith zone to walk in a comfortable zone. Here's what I mean. The Christian culture is this, or the the Western culture is, to live in as much comfort as I can possibly live in. That is a mistake. God's desire is that you would know His incredible character. I'm not saying it's wrong to have comfort. I'm saying it's wrong to pursue comfort as Lord. So God says, don't step out of the faith zone. Walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. Some of you in here are, as I described earlier, you have found yourself separating yourself more and more from the flock. You found yourself failing You probably would say right now to me, you know, Brett, um, I'm I'm in a time in my life 
where things are just really hard and I keep failing over and over again. Maybe you're here today and you've been softened by the enemy's blows. Maybe you're here today and you're disgruntled and you're discouraged and you're distressed and you're anxious and you're overwhelmed and you feel in a dark place and you just want to hide away. You want it all to go away. Hear this today, brothers and sisters. That's exactly where Jesus found his disciples. Do you remember in John, I think it's around 18, there are three years been with the rabbi from Nazareth. They watched their Messiah get hung and maligned by a pagan Roman government. They were hunted down like dogs. They were humiliated. They were distressed. They had scattered like sheep who had no shepherd, whose shepherd had been struck. They locked themselves in a room trying to escape. They just wanted out. That may be you. Hear me on this. Another vacation won't settle what you got going on inside of you. The alcohol won't cure that fire burning inside. The syringe won't take it away. That boyfriend that you just keep waiting on to turn over while you keep giving yourself to him, maybe he'll be my salvation. It's going to be your ruin if you're not careful. That Statement that you just have to say to other people to justify yourself. It's not your deliverer. That job that you're slaving over and neglecting all other responsibilities that the Lord has given you is not worth it. It's an allure. It's an enticement. It's a temptation. And it will end in disaster if it's put in an ultimate spot in your life. Only Christ will do. And only Jesus is worth living for. Grow your faith. Live by faith, not by sight. And so I say to you today, if you are in that place, cry out to God. It's interesting, in the book of Mark, I think it's around chapter 10 or 11. Read them both, you'll be blessed. Some of y'all are just getting that. It's okay. Bartimaeus cries out, Son of God, have mercy on me. Or he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. David is a picture of the royal king who was faithful to God. Son of David, come and heal me. The blind person is a picture of someone who can't see, and yet spiritually they know exactly who Jesus is. While the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the spiritual people of Jesus' day, could not see who Jesus really was. They had physical sight, but not spiritual sight. Maybe that you ask God, cry out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he will not turn you away this very hour. He will save you if you do not know him in a personal relationship. And he will save you if you are struggling and wrestling with a hard time because he is our shield. He will protect you. He's promised he'll protect you. And hear the battle cry of Micah 7-8. Rejoice not over me, my enemy, for when I fall, I shall rise. And though it may be dark, my God, is light. He is truly light for me and for you. Last question here. What is the effect of this faith? What is the effect of this faith? This is the only piece of armor that Paul tells us uh, the effectiveness of it. And what is the effect? It puts out all of the fiery darts. Everything that Satan would throw at you, 
it puts them all out. There is nothing that will penetrate if you hold up faith. And so some of your versions may say, um, above all, if you're in the NAS or uh, one of those particular versions, they may say above all at the beginning of our passage. But listen to this. It really means, in light of all that was said, hold up the shield of faith. So Spurgeon has a great saying. He says, the shield guards your mercies that God has given to you. The shield guards the divine mercies of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the boots of the gospel of peace. The shield guards them all. In light of those, hold up your shield of faith. For it is by faith, 1 John says, we conquer the world. It is by faith that we are to conquer the world. And so it's my hope that you would hold up your shield. You would hold up Christ and his promises and you would take them to the bank. Now, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that you would be strong, rugged, Soldiers of the cross who have an eye single to his glory. Here's what I want you to take away today. Three really quick takeaways. First, focus on the source of your faith. In the midst of battle, when it's happening and you feel yourself starting to doubt, starting to be challenged, focus on the source of your faith, namely Jesus. Where did your faith come from, right? Who is the object of your faith? It's Christ. Focus on the source of your faith. Absolutely critical. Second, really important, fellowship with the saints of the household of faith. Fellowship with the saints of the household of faith. This is to guard the peace of when we fall into doubt, we want to separate. It's absolutely important that you resolve in your mind and your heart to fellowship with the saints of the household of faith. Have true transparency true accountability. Let someone into your life. Tell them the things that you don't want anyone else to know. Make a covenant together. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk in the strength of the Lord. We will walk in honesty. We will walk in the light. And we will apply the gospel to each other's lives. Do that with one another. Don't leave today if you don't have somebody. Find somebody. Let the Lord use that in your life, brothers and sisters. Focus on the source of your faith. Fellowship with the saints of the household of faith. And lastly, fight the good fight. Christ has mobilized you to fight the good fight. Fight it with vigilance in the strength of the Lord. Fight it with vigilance in the strength of the Lord. And know that our journey to heaven feels like a longer journey. And so we need brothers and sisters to walk with us, to go with us. And so let me just end on this from the pen of John Newton. Though many foes beset you round and feeble is your arm, your life is hid with Christ in God beyond the realm of harm. Weak as you are, you shall not fade or fainting shall not die. Jesus, the strength of every saint, will aid you from on high. Through unperceived, though unperceived by moral sense, faith sees him always near, a guide, a glory, a defense. What have you, brothers and sisters, to fear? As surely as he overcame and triumphed once for you, so surely you that love his name shall in him triumph.